question is, how do we celebrate Palm Sunday? As we all know, this is Palm Sunday. You see, as Jesus was coming into Jerusalem, as he was preparing for his crucifixion and resurrection, the people were welcoming Jesus into Jerusalem as a king. They waved palm branches in a celebratory fashion to welcome him. That's why we call it Palm Sunday. In fact, the welcoming of Jesus came with so much fanfare that we often call it the triumphal entry. However, did you know that the entry of Jesus into Jerusalem before his crucifixion and resurrection is not the only triumphal entry of Jesus in the Bible? There were two, the one before his crucifixion and the one at the time of judgment in Revelation. Before I talk about those two, let's pray and ask God to speak to us. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are our king, that you are our Lord. As I share two passages today, Lord, I pray that you will enrich my heart, enrich each one of us to really focus on you. Not the pomp and circumstances, not what's happening maybe with no school or whatever, Lord. Just let us focus upon you. As one of the songs in hymnology in Faith Builder reminds me, all hail King Jesus, our Emmanuel, Lord. Lord, we thank you and we praise you in Jesus' most holy name. Amen. The triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem is one of those biblical events that is recorded in every gospel. Matthew 21, Mark 11, Luke 19, and John 12. For today, I'd like us to focus on that John passage. So please stand as I read this passage in John 12, 12 through 16. On the next day... When the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, they took the branches of the palm trees and went out to meet him and began shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, indeed the king of Israel. Jesus, finding a young donkey, sat on it. As it is written, do not fear, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. These things his disciples did not understand at the first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things were written of him and that they had done these things for him. You may be seated. This is the first triumphal entry of Jesus. So what I want to do is, and we're going to contrast the two, we're going to look at some of the aspects of this first triumphal entry. Before I get to that, let's just review a little bit about this first triumphal entry. It's important for us to understand the people in this passage expected Jesus to be a mighty warrior king who would help them regain political and geographical status as the rulers of Israel. The people were tired of being under the thumbs of the Romans. The people knew that the Messiah was coming. It was prophesied in the Old Testament. 
They saw that he taught with authority. They saw that he healed. They saw that he worked miracles. They even shouted that day, Hosanna, which means Savior. They thought Jesus was sent by God to be the Savior King. They even shouted, Blessed is he who is coming in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. However, Jesus was not the kind of king that they all expected. We see that many of the aspects of Jesus' entry the first time were not descriptive of how you might feel like a conquering king would come to town. So let me focus on a few of those. If you look at that passage, that first triumphal entry, first, Jesus came first riding on a young donkey. Yeah, the first time Jesus came into a town, he came in town riding on a donkey, and not just a donkey, but a very young donkey. I think they expected him to maybe come with a Clydesdale or a lion or at least something regal. You know, it's worth noting that this was not unusual for a king to ride on a donkey. In fact, if you go back in the Old Testament, you see King David rode a donkey at times. However, a king would probably not go into battle and certainly wouldn't seek to demonstrate strength by riding in town with a donkey. Okay, that, might, that probably was clue number one to them, you thought. But you see, Jesus did this both as a deliberate fulfillment of prophecy. We read it earlier, Zechariah 9.9. But as a demonstration of the character of his kingdom. Because it was a spiritual kingdom, not a military kingdom. He came in peace and not war. He did not come as a conqueror, but as a messenger of peace. He rode on a donkey, not the steed of royalty. Jesus came as a humble savior, not an intimidating conqueror. Interestingly, this very moment was prophesied. John in this passage points to the words of Zechariah, the prophet who foretold it long ago. Here it is. He said of the city of Jerusalem, also called Zion, that her king would come on a young donkey. You see, the first time Jesus at his first triumphal entry comes on a young donkey. You say, what did he come secondly? Well, secondly, Jesus came in his first triumphant as a suffering servant as a suffering servant. I already told you that the people didn't expect that, right? They expected Jesus would wipe out all the bad guys. They expected that Jesus would be that ultimate warrior king and no one would be able to stand in his way. Instead, Jesus came as a suffering servant. If you don't believe that, look at Isaiah 53, 7. He was oppressed and afflicted, and yet he did not open his mouth. 
Like a lamb led to the slaughter and like a sheep silent before his shears, he did not open his mouth. Our Lord was silent and did not open his mouth against any adversaries. He did not accuse one of them of cruelty or injustice. They slandered him. You know what he did? He replied nothing. False witnesses arose, but he answered them not. Jesus did not let fall a word against anybody. Though, if you saw what was going on, every invention of malice was going on. Practically speaking, one would have thought he must have spoken when they spat on his face. I think I would have opened my mouth. But the time for such protest was over. When they smote him in the face with the palms of the hand, guess what? Yeah, you got it. He did not speak. He brings no accusation to his father. The hill of the cross might have became a volcano's mouth to swallow up the multitude who was jesting and jeering at him. But there was no such display of power. Or rather, there was so great a display of power over himself that he did not use his might against his bitterest foes. You know, he didn't have that vindictive spirit that we all have at times. He restrained his omnipotence itself with a strength which could never be measured. For his mighty love availed even to restrain divine wrath. He willingly laid down his life and never once resisted. We know Jesus would suffer greatly. He would suffer as a servant. We're going to find out that throughout this week as we study the passages. He would suffer as a servant who would be obedient to God the Father even to the point of death. But the first time he came, not as a conquering king, he came as a suffering servant. That takes us to the third aspect of this first triumphal entry. Jesus came first to absorb judgment. Now, I want you to listen to that word. I purposely use the word absorb, okay? Again, as I've already said two or three times, the Jewish people of Jesus' day thought that Jesus was coming to deal once and for all judgment to the Romans. Okay, we're going to get rid of those Romans. However, let's go back to Isaiah 53. Let me read verse 5 for you. But he was pierced because of our rebellion. He was crushed because of our iniquities. Punishment for our peace was on him, and we are healed by his wounds. When Christ died on the cross... He satisfied God's judgment and made it possible for God's enemy, who's who? It's us, to find peace with him. Our reconciliation to God then involves the exercises of his grace 
and the forgiveness of our sins. Jesus took on our judgment so that we wouldn't have to. Amen. You see, someone had to absorb the judgment of God's wrath towards sin. God loves us so he wanted it to deliver us from that judgment. So he sent Jesus to absorb it. If you don't remember that, let me go back to a most familiar passage that we all quoted as a little kid. Let me read John three sixteen and 17 if you don't believe that. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. And here's the verse we always forget. For God did not send in his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. God owed us nothing. Yet in his love, he sent his divine, sinless, royal son to absorb the judgment for our sins. He was pierced. He was oppressed. What I want everybody to do right now is just for a moment, close your eyes. Close your eyes. And imagine the incomprehensible heavy burden of all our horrible sins. Coming down full force upon the sinless suffering servant as he experiences the full weight of his father's wrath. When he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We can open our eyes. Absolutely beyond my personal imagination. Can't picture it. Such infinite love. I seriously doubt that even in eternity, we get very much insight by what actually transpired on that old rugged cross. You see, he absorbed judgment for us. That leads us to our fourth aspect of Jesus' first triumphal entry. Jesus came first to bring salvation. If you don't believe that, let me quote, which is going to be our April verse of the month, Luke 19.10. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save the lost. D.L. Moody, one of great preachers in Chicago said this about this passage. He says, to me, this is one of the sweetest verses in the whole Bible. In one short sentence, we are told what Christ came into the world for. He came for a purpose. He came to do a work. He came not to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. You know, look at Luke chapter 19. Anybody know what happened in Luke 19 before that verse? Well, let me remind you, okay? It's the experience of Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus, Jesus came to him, he sought him, and then he saved him. Go back to Luke 19.10. The whole gospel is in this simple sentence. 
And there is not a single word in it that has more than one syllable. Okay, just look at grammar. I don't know if he meant to do that, but just think that, okay? For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save the lost. Jesus came into the world to save sinners from their sin and the consequences of their sin. Jesus would bring salvation through his crucifixion, his burial, and his resurrection. That salvation that Jesus would bring would give us new life and seal our adoption as God's children into the family of God forever. Philip Bliss, one of the great hymn writers of all time, said it this way in one of his hymns. Man of sorrow, what a name. For the Son of God who came, ruined sinners to reclaim. Hallelujah, what a Savior. You see, Jesus' first coming was miraculous. It changed the history of the world forever. So let me just review that first triumphal entry because we are celebrating Palm Sunday. To review, he came on a donkey. Okay, not what they expected. He came as a suffering servant, not what they were expecting. He came to absorb judgment, which we didn't deserve. And he came to bring salvation, to seek and to save the lost. So now, let's look at that second triumphal entry, which I think most of us wouldn't have thought about that. Okay? Let's look at Revelation. If you want to turn in your Bibles, this is the second passage. Let's look at Revelation 19, 11 through 16. Revelation 19, 11 through 16. And I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. And he who sat on it is called faithful and true. And in righteousness he judges and wages wars. His eyes are a flame of fire, and his heads are many crowns. And he has a name written on him which no one knows except himself. He is clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. Excuse me. And the armies which are in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword, so that with it he may strike down the nations and will rule them with a rod of iron. And he treads the winepress of the fierce wrath of God, the Almighty. And on his robe... And on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. You see, Jesus will come again. And it will be triumphal once again. However, this time, the coming will be a bit different than the first. I really believe the second triumphal entry will be more in line with the kind of king that the Jews expected the first time. So, as I did with the first one, let's look at four 
simple aspects of Jesus' second entry. First of all, Jesus will return on a white horse. Let me read verse 11 again. And I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on it is called faithful and true, and in righteousness he judges and wages wars. While he came first humbly on a young donkey, yes, he did, okay, he will come secondly regally riding a white horse. The time for justice has come. The white horse represents the Lord's justice, righteousness, and power in action. When he rides this white horse, he will be called faithful and true. God's name or his attributes of who he is. He is the source of every one of his attributes, okay? God is love, and love comes from who? God, okay? Just look at 1 John 4, 7, and 8. God is faithful and true, and faith comes from him. Jesus is faithful and true because he has remained steadfastly committed to us, his bride. He has never, okay, no. He has never wavered in his deep and perfect love for us. We've been all over the place, okay? Yeah, my life's like a roller coaster. In John's vision, the moment we wait for has finally happened. And Jesus goes out on his horse to complete it. See, unlike us, he does not leave things half done. Ever. Who better to judge the earth than faithful and true? He has always been our warrior king, even though the Jews... Didn't picture that. He's always been faithful and true. You see, this time around, Jesus is not playing around when he comes on a white horse. He means business. This takes us to the second aspect. Not only is he coming on a white horse, but this time, Jesus will return as a conquering king. Okay, not a suffering servant, okay? You know, we know in the first time he came as a suffering servant because that's why he came. He will enter triumphantly the second time as a conquering king. Let's review some of the words in Revelation 19. His eyes were like a fiery flame. Many crowns were on his head. He wore a robe dipped in blood. The armies that were in heaven followed him on white horses. A sharp sword came from his mouth. He will rule with an iron rod. He has a name written on his robe and on his thigh, King of kings and Lord of lords. You see, this time, as a conquering king, you would expect he's a very passionate person. I don't, I don't know if you got that, but his eyes were like a fiery flame. He is the truth, the way, and the life. Christ zealously and vehemently seeks justice and sees into the darkness to know the truth of a person's heart. The description continues. 
and on his heads are many diadems. Diadems are crowns, royal headbands that only a king or queen may wear. You see, Jesus wears many of them because he's the king of kings. He's a king over the entire earth, the entire heaven, and everything in them. It goes on. He has a name written that no one knows but himself. That Lord has many names. We know him as Messiah, Emmanuel, Redeemer. This second time, there will be no doubt okay, that Jesus is king. And that he is mighty when he returns. But part of being the conquering king is the third aspect. This time he will deal with judgment. Okay, he's just not going to absorb it. He's going to deal with it. Okay, verse 15. If you don't believe that, read verse 15. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. Just look at that verse. It describes a devastating show of force. It's a violent and dramatic event. Just look at the verbs. Strike. Rule. Tread, and that phrase, the fierce wrath of God. His first coming primarily involved Jesus' role as lamb and suffering servant. The second coming emphasizes Jesus' role as the conquering king who will judge. The first time Jesus came, God prepared his son to absorb the judgment, right? For God so loved the world that he gave. Okay, we're going to celebrate that Friday, his crucifixion. The second time Jesus comes, God will prepare his son to deal the judgment once and for all. Finally, Jesus will return to bring salvation. Yeah, the same thing as he did the first time. You see, the first time Jesus came, he secured salvation for us, right? He died on that old rugged cross. His work made it possible for us to receive the promise of salvation. Yet, we still suffer, right? We still sin. We are still sinned against. The second time Jesus enters triumphantly, he will come to deliver that salvation in its entirety. His work at the second triumphant entry will make it possible for us to experience that salvation in full. If you don't believe that, let me remind you what Revelation 21, 3 and 4 says. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among the people, and he will dwell among them, and they shall be his people. And God himself will be among them. 
And he, here's, here's, here's a beautiful part of it. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no longer be any death. There will be no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. You see, God will bring final restoration. He will bring final healing and final salvation to all his people forever. This is the promise to which all of us have been looking for since we gave our lives to Jesus. I know I have. So let me just review a couple things. We celebrate Palm Sunday and his first triumphal entry because he would later, five days later, gave his life on the cross as the atonement for our sins. We should also celebrate and look forward to Jesus' return as the mighty king who will rescue us from this world and take us into paradise with him forever. This takes me to a conclusion. Got a few things to ask. A few rhetorical questions, a few questions to ask us. Simple question. Have you received the triumphant king? If so, if you so, are you living as such? If not, avail yourself this morning of the opportunity to receive Jesus, not only as Lord and Savior, that suffering servant, but as king over all things. As you reflect upon Palm Sunday, and I would challenge you all to do this as you go home, I want you not to reflect on the pomp and circumstances of the palm branches, but reflect on the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So I'm going to challenge you in three ways. Three ways. First, ask yourself this question. Have I been changed Have I been changed? You you know what that word change means, right? It means 480 degrees. Okay, it does. You know, it's like a metamorphosis, like a butterfly that, a caterpillar that turns into a butterfly, okay? Have I been changed by the suffering servant? Did the coming of the suffering servant make any difference in our lives? And if you've given your life to Jesus, can anyone tell? But perhaps you never asked Jesus to change you. I don't know of any better time than to do that right now. Second question to challenge yourself. Am I prepared for the return of the conquering king? Because everybody, I hate to tell you that, but he's coming back. Okay. We don't know exactly when. We don't know exactly you know that but we know that he is and my question is are you ready for him to return because when he does return he will return in a new way he's not going to come on a young donkey he's coming on a white horse you know my friends you want to be ready you know not like that old early 70s song, I wish we all been ready, okay? 
Finally, and here's maybe the biggest challenge for us to do, not only the two questions I asked you, but here's a statement. Tell people about King Jesus. The world needs to know it. Okay, if you don't believe that, just flip on the television anytime or go to a college campus or go to a school. People need to know of the grace offered through the sacrificial work of Jesus. People need to know that Jesus is returning once again. So my friends, show them his love and tell them of his grace. You know, when's the last time you actually did that to somebody that you know? Jesus himself tells us in Revelation 22.20 this, yes, I'm coming quickly. And you know what John's response to that was? Amen, come Lord Jesus. Can you say that now? Are you ready to say to the king, amen, come Lord Jesus? Because some of those people that welcomed Jesus into Jerusalem on that Palm Sunday, remember what they said a few days later? You know, they said Hosanna, but then they said crucify him. Crucify him. Jesus would give his life so that we might be saved from the judgment of our sins. Welcome Jesus as your savior and mighty king this Palm Sunday. question I started with how are we celebrating Palm Sunday how are we celebrating Palm Sunday is he the king of all our lives let's bow our heads Lord Jesus I just thank you that you did come in a donkey but you're going to come once in the future in a white horse I pray that we will accept you as our personal savior because you died for us so that we can have that opportunity. But we know if we don't, there's a judgment coming, Lord. Lord, just be with each one of us here. As we think on you, let us say, come, Lord Jesus, amen.